Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode number 107. My name is Adrian Hobart. And my name is Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following genres. Suspense. Mysteries. Crime. And thrillers. And guess what? What? Our submissions are open. For they the following, are. For the following three subgenres. <laughs> Historical crime fiction. Cozy crime fiction. Psychological domestic thrillers. And uh, the window is only open for another few days. Yes, so a so, week, just under a week. And we've had quite a few submissions, as you can imagine. Uh, it's a rare thing for us to have the window open. But people are taking advantage, <laughs> which is delightful. And we will get round to reading those during a little break that we're going to have in a week or so's time, two that, weeks' time. Yes, that's the plan. We're going to take all submissions with us to Suffolk, sit in cafes, looking arty, sipping coffee. In and- Sussex, not Suffolk. Oh, Sussex, yes. <laughs> I get those two mixed up. Yeah, it's easily done. East Sussex, in They're fact. There are two the counties of Sussex, let's not forget. It's East Sussex we're going to. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we, we're, we're delighted to say that Colleen Steed joins us from their home in Helensborough, near Glasgow, a little later. Debut author, great book, Home. We had a great chat, didn't title. we? Yeah, yeah. Terrific. So we'll it's on be, my wish list. We'll be speaking to them a little <laughs> later in the programme, Colleen Steed. Uh, well, let's get into our usual thing of uh, some publishing news. And I think this is really significant because I know that we've mentioned a few times some of the tech giants are really struggling and they've been laying off people. And we're talking about Apple, Google and Amazon mm. globally. And Amazon, in fact, have reported a loss, a considerable loss. In fact, uh, as I pick up my phone to look at the story, of course, then they show me a picture of a warehouse, which is not terribly (laughs) useful. But Amazon's uh, operating income for the three months to the 31st of December 2022, so Mm. we're talking about the big three months for any retailer, fell to $2.7 billion from $3.5 billion in 2021. Wow. And it says that uh, it was – hit by all sorts of self-insurance liabilities, impairments of property and equipment and operating leases, and estimated severance costs, i.e. letting people go. Um, But uh, net sales did increase. I mean, I'm just picking it out. But basically, everyone jumped in on this and said, Amazon is sliding. Mm. And uh, this might tie in with the other story from the bookseller that I'm going to touch on, which is ebook sales stall for the big six – what is it? Is it a big four, five, or six? I know, I, I know. They change every week, don't they? It's like... Yeah, they do. They do. So I think we'll, we'll just name these. Number one, Hachette. Penguin Ranner House at number two. Harper Collins, number three. Pan Macmillan, number four. Simon and Schuster, number five. And although they'll deny it and kick and scream, 
Bloomsbury ah, at number six. So maybe they've changed the definition now because that's the second time I've seen Big Six. And now it includes Bloomsbury. Who yeah. claim they're independent and all that sort of thing. And, I mean, you know, it's such a blurred world. But Bloomsbury are now in the uh, ra- the top six of the publish- uh, of um, the bookseller. So, tough. But they're <laughs> saying that uh, e-books are s- sales have stalled for the big six as Collective Return's second lowest total. And the trade conglomerate's domestic e-book volume hit 43.6 million units in 2022. And that is 8.3% down on 2021. Now, that is, of course, 2021 the great pandemic yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, it's not an unexpected statistic, really, is it? No. Um, but it's the lowest return since 2017. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't um, it doesn't read too well. Um, some elements have grown, but basically it's flatlining for most of them, if I'm honest. Uh, if you look at Bloomsbury, they're up 26% on their e-book sales. Mm. But in comparison... Uh, Simon & Schuster down 14.2% and Pan Millen down 13.3%. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they are um, struggling a bit. And I think I think maybe the ebook. I mean, this is a bad news for us because we're just principally a digital first publisher. But, you know, I do think that there is a certain wariness around ebooks at the moment and people actually do want the physical copies a little bit more. Yeah, I think something about... Um, people returning to the joy of feeling the physicality of a book. And I don't know what it is. I think when times are bad, you need something to enjoy more than you would normally. Mm. And having a book in your hands is part of that, I think. Yeah, I, I do accept that because, I, I, you know, I have read a lot of e-books and obviously we publish them too. Uh, but you've always argued that you would prefer a paperback. Oh, anytime. It, it, absolutely, 100%. And and for me, you know, it's always been about getting access to the story first and foremost. And if the quickest way is by ebook, then I'll do that. If it's a writer I really want to read. And indeed, I, I quite enjoy having reference books um, in both formats, if I'm honest. So mm. I can dip into one and the other. Uh, but yeah, I think that there is maybe a, a, a little bit of, um, I don't know. I, I, I think the excitement of a Kindle is long gone and e-readers. Yeah, and, it was and, a big novelty. That, and now it's about reading on your phone. And actually, I think that in many ways, uh, the functionality of Kindle's Kindle app is not a patch on its physical cousin, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's one step back from being a Kindle. And there are, you know, so maybe there is a way that someone's going to come up with a format that really works on a, on a phone um, that people are going to love. Well, there's a challenge for somebody out there. Yeah. Get on Dragon's Den with your idea. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> I don't know. So a bit of a dip there. And, um, yeah, they'll be scratching their heads. That'll be a worry to them. Uh, but, of course, you know, while bookshops remain open, uh, the, the, they'll be focusing again on the physical sales of things. Yeah, but they've also got the issue of, we reported last week that hardback sales are going down because people can't afford hardbacks. Yeah, and there's not much margin on mass market hardbacks because often even though the cover price will be 20 pounds you can get them anywhere for a tenner yeah pretty much uh, there's hardly any and, and and indeed as we've heard independent bookshops will not stock those big titles because there's no point they can't match 10 pounds no so that's good for publishers like us because that means they have more room for um the more niche independent well let's hope so and, <laughs> and of course that's one of our aims for for this year to come um 
Well, let's um, look at your your story. Uh, as always, I have the light-hearted story uh-huh. of the week. So Gillian Anderson, who um, was probably most famous for being Scully in um, The X-Files, but more recently she's been um, playing a sex psychologist in a Netflix series called Sex Education, which I did watch a little bit of. It's mm-hmm. really good. Um, but apparently that makes her an expert on the subject. So she's been snapped up or scooped or whatever the word Swooped. is. Swooped, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by, Snared. By Bloomsbury, them yeah. again, um, to publish a book about the sexual fantasies of women. So she's invited women to write in with their fantasies and they're going to compile this book. Oh, she's been, I think she's been a, uh, a, an agony aunt on one of the papers. I mean, you know. Is she? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think so. Um, but I can't remember which one, but I think I think she has. So maybe that's part of it as well. It could be. It could be an extension of that. So Bloomsbury are calling this an, in quotes, inclusive intersectional new classic for the 21st century. And you know what? I, I would actually be fascinated enough to buy a copy. Yeah. And I okay. bet you'll read it too. Well, I dare say, but, you know, I won't admit to it. But, the, the, but this is... Who comes up with a hyperbole around that book? Just repeat that again. An inclusive, intersectional new classic for the 21st century. I mean, I'm sorry, but which committee <laughs> came up with that rubbish? I mean, there's no way a Hobart book would go out into the world with some load of nonsense attached to it. I mean, of course we talk it back gripping thriller and, <laughs> you know, page turner and all that stuff. But that is just utter nonsense. You know, that's a few words lashed together without any... I'm not real... even sure I know what it means. No, exactly. Intersectional. I mean, what's I that? I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just. I mean, there's a beginning word beginning with W that comes to mind. Um, anyway, that's as far as I'm going with that word. But what a load of. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gluten-free bread. <laughs> yes. Oh boy. Oh boy. Right. Well, we. So ought let's. To get... I think we ought to get to the interview now. Yes, we should. We should talk to Kaylin Steed who is a teacher, and uh, they live in Helensborough, which is near Glasgow, a beautiful little town on the uh, Firth of Clyde. And they had a brilliant answer for my random question. They did. They did. Made me hungry. I'm not yeah. saying any more than that. Yeah, new book recently out and uh, getting awesome reviews. In fact, I quote from one of them because one of them's a former guest of ours. Yes. Uh, so let's talk to Kaylin Steed. Kaylin Steed, thank you so much for joining us on the Hopcast Book Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's our great honour, and uh, it's especially a great pleasure. We, we love speaking to authors within the sort of the first few days of their book coming out. So how's yeah. it been for you? Yeah, mad, really, really surreal. Um, busy. I've been so lucky. Like so many people have have got in touch or like sent me pictures of of my book in um, in different bookshops and things. It's it's been really <laughs> lovely. Yeah, and what sort of reaction? I mean, you know, it's lovely to get that. Um, what's what have you noticed about the sort of reviews and the the reaction you're getting? Um, I think so far a lot of people are are commenting on the the pace. They really liked how how fast it was, how quick it was, um, how it, it it kind of gathers pace as you go, so it's harder to put down. Um, a lot of that was down to the influence of the editor I had um, when I started at uh, Raven, uh, Sarah Helen and Sarah Helen Benny. She really helped me like um pair back uh, details and, and jump straight into the story and, and pick up the pace. And it's it's really awesome that so many people are enjoying that. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting process in itself when, you, when you're when you working with an editor for that for, on that occasion. And 
they point things out and say, right, we'll take this out and it'll, it'll improve things. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you feel precious about those words coming out? Oh, well, before I got offered a deal, um, she got back to me and she said, oh, I'm, I'm interested in this book, but I would like to see a few revisions before we say sort of yes or no on it. And the few revisions involved taking out like 20,000 words from the start. I got this when I was like, I was on a hill walk. I was like up a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And I just like sort of like angrily walked for about an hour and then <laughs> had to admit that actually all her ideas were really good and it made complete sense. And I was like, ah. <laughs> Do you know, speaking as, a, as an editor as well, I love it when I get that response from an author. When they initially, they're like, pump. <laughs> <laughs> and then they think, oh, actually. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I know any authors who don't hump. Because okay. let's be honest, you've lived with the project longer than the editor, for one thing. And you've given everything due consideration. You've done your very best to deliver the story that you wanted to deliver. And you think you're you know, approaching an, an audience in the way that they want to be approached. And someone comes in and says, oh, 20,000, oh, it has to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then, like, it's so nice having a pair of, like, fresh eyes or, or several pairs of fresh eyes in your manuscript because they see things that you don't see, like, you know, the fact that you've used the word just 17 times in one page. Um, this is all the stuff that you don't see after reading the manuscript 103 times. Yeah, you become, you become sort of word blind, don't you? Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. like when I when I did my A-level art, I remember my art teacher saying, when you finished a painting, look at it in the mirror. Yeah. And that's when you say, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you won't find me anywhere near a mirror ever. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, in that process, 20,000 words, what what was what was taken out? I don't want to say what was lost because that, that would be not the right way to put it. Um, there is a bit more. So the story is um, a dual narrative and we start with an adult Zoe uh, in Dublin in a cafe and uh, her is a younger person uh, who's at that point named Catherine um, sort of living in this this very isolated cult. And there was more of Zoe um, sort of her journey back to the cult. So um, the kind of details of that journey um, and what she was feeling as she was going along. And sort of like wrestling with the decision she'd made to go back. Um, and then there was more of, I suppose, sort of like daily life in the cult um, a little bit before we got into it. But we we ended up scrapping those and kind of just like jumping straight into the the kind of main main conflict, which I think ultimately was was for the best. I also had a lot of description about the coffee shop that's also a secondhand bookshop that Zoe works in, because it's basically the place that I want to like exist one day. <laughs> I'm just thinking sounds nice to me. <laughs> yeah, like an entire chapter lovingly describing it, and they were like, "You really, you don't need this." Yeah. That's <laughs> no, that, you know, that's a fair point. I mean, but <laughs> but it's really hard to let go of that thing because you know, creative, and and you feel a lot of emotion for that scene or that part of the book. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes you need to write yourself into a story, but that's when the second pair of eyes can go okay, like this is important for you, like getting your world set up and things, but no one else needs to read 15 pages about how nice this coffee shop is. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, it takes us back to last week's interview. I've just had a thought. Sorry, yeah. yeah it's, sorry. Um, you know, like films have director's cut. Why don't books have author's cut? With all Very the good point. Because <laughs> they're more the expensive fans, to produce. The super fans yeah, they, buy yeah, them. Yeah, that's fine. Like, well, I mean, you can always, you know, that, that bookshop description can sit on your website as, a bit of extra added content for them to go and delve into your world and your thinking a little bit. I mean, there are ways of doing that, obviously. But what I was going to ask is, I mean, after last week, we were talking to Troy Lambert uh, who from Plotter. 
And of course, one of the features they, they have in that software is that you can put that world building nicely stashed away it within Plotter. So that you've always got it there. You've done your exploratory work, but no one has to see it. It's just <laughs> is there for you to refer to when you need to. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's one of those things. Um, let's talk about the cult element of your book. And when we talk about cult, we're not talking about the occult. We're talking about, you know, a, a sect of people taking people out of normal life and imposing their own rules, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what was the what was the the inspiration and the your interest in that. Um, I suppose I've always just been fascinated by by cults and, and sort of religion more generally. Um, I didn't grow up religious, so religion was always kind of like really interesting and intriguing and exotic to me, I guess. And I suppose cults are an extreme manifestation of that. Um, it's I don't know what the fascinating. A lot of people when I tell them the premise of the book, they're like, "Oh, I love cults." Um, and yeah, I don't know why they're so fascinating. I guess it's the idea of like what could be because from the outside often they seem so ridiculous like the beliefs and the practices and I suppose it's it's wondering what on earth could possess someone but then you know things become normal to you you know like um uh at Christmas time I had a tree that we chopped down and dressed in like bright blinking things and put in the corner of my house and if you'd never come across <laughs> that tradition before that's totally mad like why though you know yeah it's like what the cat like. thinks when the cat walks in the cat looks at the yeah. tree and thinks why <laughs> if you if you've grown up with that tradition you're like yeah of course that's what you do at christmas but uh for yeah if it, this is what traditions and i suppose superstitions even when you come across them or stereotypes that you've never heard before they seem so outlandish but so i suppose it's like that with a cult you just you gradually get used to more and more used to doing things which seem strange or unusual until they aren't anymore yeah i think that's right i mean i, I had a well, as an acquaintance, really, because she wasn't my friend, but she was wrapped up in a in a big cult in California. Oh. Came over, went over from the UK, but was was gradually drawn into it through being a, 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 basically approached in a bookshop and saying, "You look like an, an interesting and intelligent person. Come to our special group where we talk about <laughs> intellectual <laughs> things and, and 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 you know art and and whatever." And it started there, mm. and. Before she knew it, she was living in California, being told who to marry and having children by this man. Uh, extraordinary. And, it, you know, this went on for a few years okay. and she eventually escaped. But it is incredibly, uh, you know, just I mean, this is a rational person, you think, who's intelligent, got a degree and all that and still gets drawn Very into this. Isn't it? Yeah, it's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose then maybe the expectation is perhaps that people who join these cults are very sort of like gullible or perhaps lacking in worldliness or education but a lot of people like one thing that really surprised me when I was researching a bit was that a lot of people who join cults are like people with like university level education or something or you know people we might might assume would be like too smart to be caught but yeah it's 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 almost like people that have you know academic background or something seem almost overrepresented um in some cults and they I think that's a really interesting thing. I suppose I don't know if it correlates with like, you know, you're the higher educated you are, the less likely you are to have religious beliefs. So I don't know if it's like a feeling that you feel like something's missing, or a feeling like you're too, you feel like you would be too intelligent to be tricked by someone. So therefore, you're more susceptible. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's, it's fascinating. 
Well, I, I was once approached by a Scientologist mm, in Amsterdam, me too. and I can remember it really affected me. So I was walking down the street, same sort of situation. A guy comes up to me and says, oh, you know, you look like a creative individual and we, we've got, do you want to come and have a look at our, you know, he, he sort of portrayed it as a very legitimate organisation. Didn't mention Scientology at all. I didn't know until later. And um, I went in and we sat there and said, we've got all these courses and that they're to help you improve yourself and initially I said oh like I'm a student I haven't got any money and then he said you don't obviously you don't care about improving yourself you don't want to be a better person and I thought that was quite clever and I eventually got I got out and I went back to my accommodation I wouldn't walk down that street for anything that was because it yeah. was actually quite terrifying thinking yeah. how powerful very very similar experience in Sydney Australia in King's Cross and I I'd had a particularly difficult night or something I was uh, you know had a falling out with someone and yeah, someone from the Scientologists, you know, approaches me and says, Oh, do you look a bit down? You know, can I, you know, just have a little conversation with you? And then eventually I find myself in there, you know, being signed up for my first Dianetic treatment. Um, oh. Yeah, it, you know, it is, yeah, there but for the grace, you know, that it, 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 it can, it can creep up on you very, very quickly at the weirdest times. Um, but they, but it's it's a, from from your perspective of of going down that route and and, and writing about a cult. How much research? did you do about that i mean creating this this cult i feel like a bit of a fraud when i talk about research because i i didn't have like sort of like a dedicated period of research before i began writing i i sort of been playing with this story for a very very long time before i even sort of considered i would be published professionally or, or even thought that was a possibility um so i suppose it was just sort of like a casual interest that i had and you know if there was a documentary about cults on i'd watch that and it was the sort of thing that if I saw a book about it, I'd pick it up. Um, when I did, um, I think when I got an agent and there there was more likelihood of it being professionally published, I did um, go to, I went to Mitchell Library in uh, Glasgow and I went up to one of the librarians and I said, what do you have in cults and librarians? Because they're amazing, didn't blink an eye. And it was just like one moment, came back with like a pile of books. Um, and I kind of sat and, and worked through those um, read forums online, um, particularly for people who'd like left cults. Yeah talking about how they did adjusted and things they found funny and the things they found hard and um those were were really particularly interesting but yeah it was a it was a bit of a slapdash approach to research i think mm. you've got some but that, that sounds like that's that you know that's the way i do it so when i was doing my thesis yeah sure <laughs> no 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 i think you're right i think i think you know that that's how i would probably absorb an awful lot don't you without realizing it i think and mm. you come to sort of put it together it's all there Hmm. <laughs> yeah besides which you, know, you can edit what you need to keep in and what you keep out so you know that's true i wanted to um just read one quick review that's uh on your amazon page oh, so because it's he's been on the podcast right exactly so i wanted so it's like a round trip really and we're talking about karen mckinley who came on a few weeks ago with the storytellers oh, yeah, which, I've read. It's very yeah. good. which has done amazingly well but uh she describes it as a daring debut intoxicating powerful and very visceral stunning prose very dark but also filled with hope and love centered around identity and the struggle to find a sense of belonging I was desperate for a happy ending. No, we won't give anything away. I hope Karen got her happy ending. It's a happy ending, though, doesn't she? If you read her book, she does. She loves a happy ending. <laughs> I love the, the premise of her book was so original. Like, she was one of my earliest, um, I think she was maybe the second person, to, first or second person to give me a review. Um, and it was, yeah, it was lovely. It was, it's a really, really lovely like summary of, of uh, the book. 
That's great. Uh, so darkness. How dark do we are we talking here? Um, I guess I, I think it does get pretty dark at points. I didn't want to sanitize anything, um, but I also didn't want to sensationalize anything. So I did try and and kind of pick up on on things that were like nothing that's in the cult isn't something that hasn't happened. Like I very much took the um, the Handmaid's Tale was was a very obvious influence, I think. And um, Margaret Wood, when she was writing that, she said that she didn't. Nothing that happens in the book is is invented. It's all happened somewhere to someone. Um, and that's similar um, with home. Everything that happens in the cult is something that a cult has done in one form or another, and someone has has gone through or suffered. Um, so I didn't want to shy away from the kind of awful things that can happen and the abuses that can take place and the way that power can be used to control and manipulate people. Um, but at the same time, I don't like, I didn't want it to be exploitative or Korean or, or, or kind of overly graphic. So I I tried to try to find line between that. Yeah. And I guess that, you know, then a lot of that darkness is psychological as opposed to physical abuse or any other form of abuse. Yeah, yeah, there are a, a kind of a few instances of it, but um, yeah, we're in we're in the mind of this this one person at different stages of of our life. So um, yeah, I, I think you're right. A lot of the darkness is is psychological and and what she's experiencing. Mm-hmm. Now, by career, you're a teacher, right? Yeah. So <laughs> we've done a little bit of research. Yeah, <laughs> a wee bit. Uh, but as a teacher, I mean, I guess that this opens you up to the you know you're 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 responsible for the development for the period of time that you're in contact with the children uh and your pupils in terms of their development and so therefore you know it, it it's not such a big leap to see how you know if you approached it from a diff with a different motivation you could influence your characters in the way that a cult does. So, I mean, that must give you a terrific background and insight into, you know, that side of of what you've written. Uh, I've never considered finding a cult of 12-year-olds, but I will get back to you (laughs) if I go for that. I think they'd be far too cynical and intelligent (laughs) to go for me. Um, Yeah, I I guess. I think um, the thing that I always try and remember with being a teacher is that you... There's a quote, I think it's by Maya Angelou, and it's, people will forget what you did, they'll forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Right. I always try and remember that, and I don't I don't think I always live up to it, but I always try and and think about how I'm, I'm making pupils feel and, and the influence that can have. I think we all probably have memories of a time that a teacher made an offhand comment or, or something that just absolutely crushed you, and that mm. person probably never thought of it again, but I... So I, I try to be very aware of that in terms of how how that could influence a kid and and their day. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's interesting to say that because I was having a conversation with your son Toby or our son, I suppose. Uh, we haven't quite got married yet, so it, it's kind of um, and he's thirteen, and we were listening to "The Wall" by Pink Floyd as we drove home, <laughs> and uh, and of course, one of the key features of "The Wall" is this dreadful teacher that mashes up kids in the cartoon yeah. elements of the animation of the of the film and all that sort of thing. Um, and the reason I say that is because the, the song was written about teachers that taught me because I went to the same schools as the, the Floyd, albeit 10 years apart or so, or 15 years apart. And so the same guys were still teaching and their, <laughs> their behavior, that sort of post-war 
stuck there in a school for 40 years mm. and old school attitudes, you know, where the cane was, was liberally used and all this sort of stuff mm-hmm. that um, they made us feel very, very small, almost mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tried to crush spirit in the way that the wall talks about. But of course now modern teaching, that isn't the, the way that it should be. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who do this, but ultimately <laughs> it's a completely, <laughs> different, way, it's a completely <laughs> different philosophical approach now. I think so. I hope so. Yeah. I um I don't think I've ever come across a teacher that that glories in making people feel small. Um I don't think they'd last now, would they? Not now. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think so. I think you have to like whenever people ask what I do and I say oh, I'm a you know secondary school teacher, they're like, Oh, teenagers, how could you be like I think you get into the job because teenagers are great fun. Like they're hilarious, they're interesting, they're they're they can be wildly irritating um and frustrating but they're they're honestly a joy to spend time around um and even if you teach the same text over and over for years you get a different thing out of it with every different kid and every different class so yeah no I think I think there's a lot of joy to be found in teaching and and I'm I'm sorry that was your experience and I I would hope it's different um for for kids today I think I'm talking about Toby so he's in year uh wait a minute well it's it's the age group that you teach so is he no year eight oh year eight sorry I should know (laughs) (laughs) and he loves his teachers he talks about them all the time (laughs) but if if I say something and he says that's not right Dr Dolden said that (laughs) (laughs) the the parent is a level below in terms of knowledge (laughs) of the teacher (laughs) <laughs> probably right in that case yeah <laughs> but i i think you know yes that i mean that darkness that that, that under under wrote I and mean, these guys have probably served in the war and all this sort of thing and brought it back mm. with them and and mm-hmm. uh all that sort of thing so that you know and also this feeling that they've been a teacher i mean it's dreadful to say but they had this sort of this this feeling that you know i could have been something and i'm a teacher yeah. <laughs> that they genuinely carried that around with yeah, them that's true. The i bad, remember that i remember ones. that teachers who were grumpy because they were teaching as opposed to being out in the world doing some more exciting. yeah being positive about yeah. you know and uh, being about the process and and coming in so it, yeah mm-hmm. interesting um yeah i think that the, the the wonderful thing about teaching i think and you know, not having done much of it but um is that you do have access to open minds uh, to a large extent and you know that energy that that somehow disappears later on in life <laughs> yeah yeah and it's great when you see enthusiasm um grab them or or when they they just get like so into i'm reading a monster calls with my um my we call them s1 so they're like 11 12 years old at the moment i don't know if you're familiar with the book but they're just they're so into it i've rarely seen a book just grab kids this much and it's yeah it's brilliant what they the way that they settle when they're listening to you read and and then how how many ideas they have about the characters and what's happening like it's it's just wonderful yeah i just want to say so toby again he's doing a poetry module in english at the moment mm-hmm. oh my <laughs> the problems <laughs> he's coming up with first of all he said i don't like poetry i don't get it but he's been given poems for homework and he's come up with some real <laughs> Um, I don't know how you call them, really. Well, he's he's like a latter day Roger McGough, isn't he, or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> humour in them. It was something yeah. about. He wrote a poem about a lasagna. Yeah, a lasagna <laughs> called Trevor that he kept in the fridge. <laughs> anyway, That's we're digressing again. Uh, we're digressing again. Um, tell us about wh- where you are at the moment. You're in Hellensboro, right? Yeah, yeah. We um we recently moved here, and yeah, it's it's been lovely. We were in Glasgow just before, uh, in the West End. Before that, we lived in 
in Dublin, so we've we've got about a bit. Right. So hence hence the the the, the setting of Dublin for the for the start of the book and and the coffee yeah. shop and everything. Um, well, that's uh, you know, it's it, you're picking some of the best places. I think in terms of creativity, <laughs> quite possible in Dublin and Glasgow. Oh, Glasgow. I love the West End of Glasgow, but Helensborough. I mean, I keep meaning to visit, and there's a reason. You take me, don't you? Yeah, I do, and, <laughs> and I ought to explain why. Because an old school friend of mine who went through the same dark corridors that you know <laughs> with each other uh, is an architect and was responsible for restoring your Charles Rennie Macintosh building at M and Co. There's a sort of uh, arts clubhouse. Oh, really? thing in Helensborough which was completely ruined you know the it was basically a pigeon loft and mm. he's restored it about three four years ago and now it's it's the community so um I keep meaning to come and see it um but <laughs> what a that. wonderful that's setting cool. that's awesome I didn't realize that yeah I mean Helensborough itself you know so for those who don't know it I don't know it. no so it's sitting on the Clyde right mm-hmm. and it's you know so you get the you're basically uh you're on the by the sea well, yeah, basically, yeah. Oh. It feels very seasidey. Um, there's like a little, there's a little beach um down the front, and there's always lots of like little boats out and things. Um, and you can see the foreshore at the other side, but it does, it does feel very beachy. Sounds like my heaven. It does rather. Yeah. <laughs> I might move house. And, I'm knocking on your door. And some, great, and some great countryside nearby. So uh, you yeah. mentioned you, you know, you were got your feedback while on on a. Uh, lonely oh, yeah. hilltop yeah. walk. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that something that that you take inspiration from? When you're out in the outdoors quite a bit. Oh, I probably don't get in, out in the outdoors as much as I should. Um, I try and and go for generally. I must be honest. When the weather's a lot better than it currently is, um, on days when I have a, like a rain day, I'll, I'll try and go for a run in the morning. Um, just kind of like get myself settled and get my head clear. And um, I find that yeah, having having that time to just kind of like think through things is is really useful um i think daydreaming time is really important for a writer it looks like you're doing absolutely nothing but you know you're working things out and you're playing things through in your head but it's um yeah it it, it does look like you're doing absolutely nothing so it's good to do something at the same time like go running or cooking or something you can kind of switch off your brain uh, and engage this other part of yourself otherwise people just accuse you of sitting and staring at the wall and giggling occasionally and, and then they get <laughs> But some of the best ideas come when you're doing something like driving or running or in the shower or whatever. Zumba used to do it for me. I used to go to Zumba and I'd suddenly think, oh, that's a brilliant idea. But uh, well, pen, I've got no pen. I've got, the, oh, I've got to keep dancing. <laughs> well, it's like that old phrase, you know, inspiration needs to find you working. And uh, that's the that's the that's the hard bit, um, you know, having something to hand so that you can get it down. But now mobile phones provide. But even when you do Zumba, you don't have your phone on you. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, Zumba's a risky one. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I mean, it, given you're a teacher, I mean, it, these and 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 a, and a mum and and all those other things, it's it's tremendously difficult to find the time, surely, to 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 write. Yeah, it it can be. I'm I'm very lucky at the moment. I work four days, and then um, Tuesdays are my like my writing days. Um, and I, I generally have the the whole day to kind of dedicate to trying to get like admin associated with writing out of the way and then and then focus on on a bit of writing. Um, more recently, when you know the book has been coming out and everything, that's that has been um taken up with more kind of like promo stuff, which I'm I'm very it's very exciting to do and I'm I'm very lucky to be able to do it. Um, but I have had to kind of adjust and try and squeeze writing into like little snatches of time. So like my son goes to 
you know, like various like clubs and lessons. And I try and like sit with a laptop and get half an hour done. Um, and usually I would like to have a few hours to kind of have a go at it. But yeah, I'm, I'm having to kind of adjust and, and do what I did previously. Um, when I finished the draft of home, I was working full time and, and he was about one and a half. And I did just write in, you know, the half hour I had before he, he came home from nursery and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it can be quite tiring. Yeah. I think you, you get good at making use of time, don't you? Because I've had the same in mine. And <laughs> the, the sort of being with your laptop as well. We once went on holiday and uh, a couple of days in a caravan and my middle boy said, where's your laptop? <laughs> 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 you couldn't understand. It was like part of me, like, where's your arm? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that is that is the nature of the creative life, I think. Yeah. You know, especially when you, uh, you know, if you were in a position... And, you know, this takes off, home takes off, and the books take off. Let's, I mean, you know, it takes a lot to be in a position where you can give up the day job. But oh, yeah. Would you even would consider you? it? Yeah. I used to think that I would love to. Um, and then, do you know, uh, the second the second or third, I, I lose count, one of the lockdowns we had, um, I think it was 2021 from January to March when the schools were off. So we're schooling from home. And the first lockdown, I'd had a three-year-old um, and there was no childcare because it just kind of happened. And it was a nightmare trying to do teaching from home and, you know, mind a little person that was full of beans and also try and do writing and, you know, like occasionally sleep. Um, and then the second uh, time that we would be doing teaching and learning from home, I thought, oh, this is great because we were we were essential workers, myself and my husband. So we had childcare. I was like, oh, this will be a breeze com- comparatively. And I thought, oh, I'll have so much time just to to kind of write as well um, in about doing like a, these online lessons. But I, I hate it. I like I, I thought I would be OK, just kind of like being in the flat and working away. Um, and I, I at the start, it was it was like very manageable. But then I think like towards the end of January, February, March, I got really down and I realized I just. I think I've just got habituated to seeing 150 teenagers every day. And if I don't, I just get really, really down. Um, and it's not the same doing it online. Like you, I think because they're teenagers, you know, the cameras were off, their mics were off. They were lacking in, in a lot of uh, responses. And it felt like you were just talking to a blank wall for hours of your day, which was kind of disheartening. And And even though I was able to spend much more time writing, and working from home I just yeah I just I just really missed that social interaction so I think I would um I would always want to to keep uh, teaching in in some form uh going I, I really do enjoy it and I think it's it's a real good kind of like social outlet to have work and and have that process of, of going and seeing people every day I think that's fabulous to hear um you know and I kind of I empathize because I've gone from you know running Hobeck from 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 home Previously in a busy newsroom um, mm. with, you know, uh, in an overall building of several hundred people. You know, you just get me in the cat most of the day. Yeah, it was it was an adjustment. <laughs> I mean, you know, in many ways a positive one because, you know, as a manager, I had just basically you get half a thing, you know, even half a thing, a fraction of a thing done. And then someone else wanted to have that hour long conversation, okay. um, to, you know, and you spend an hour trying to make them feel better about whatever situation they're in and then you get back to your desk and oh i've been waiting for you to get back and then <laughs> into another one so uh, but in a way i miss some of that i can do that to you do you like <laughs> yeah great okay I'll... then i'll send toby after i've finished 
and yeah, then nothing, Josh. The cat's cat quite <laughs> But no, I understand. I mean, because it is, it is. You know, we are social animals after um, all. Completely. And yeah. it is, it is difficult to refresh the creative well. I think when you haven't got that input as well. Yeah, yeah. When you're not around people and you're not interacting with people and you're not, yeah. Yeah, I did. Like I had thought of myself as an introvert and someone who's like, you know, would would thrive with being with like a lot of kind of um, not interaction with people. But I think I'm like I, I like interacting with people. I like seeing people, but then I like coming home and, and just, yes. be, you know, squirreling. I think we're both like that, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I consider myself an introvert. I like going places and watching. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. doing that. People watching. <laughs> love people watch. But without that. So, yeah, like you were saying, during the lockdown, all that was scratched. You couldn't even yeah. watch people. And I guess <laughs> I've always liked, if I'm in a role, I like interacting with people. If, you know, you know, teaching in, in many ways is a stage. Yeah. And indeed, some of the things, some of the jobs I've had have been very much about in performance in front of, of people. Mm. Uh, but afterwards, yeah, you need to retreat and, and, and restock the batteries. And, um, you know, it, it always strikes people as odd that, you know, you put me in a, in a party situation and I'm, I absolutely loathe it, to be honest. I have to be in amongst people I really know. If it's 90% strangers, forget it. Oh, I, I, I cope yeah. at all. And I don't like that either, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great characters to pick up on, though, when you write people Sure, yeah. sure. It's always the quiet ones. <laughs> actually that's true yes the quiet ones they're the ones who are writing the books right they are and they're going to put you in it so uh, taking i mean home is out and it's garnered some fabulous reviews and it you know we wish it every sort of success well what's next for you uh in terms of books um i'm currently um finishing off writing my second novel um during swimming lessons and things and yeah. Uh, it is not a it's not a sequel or, or connected um kind of story wise although the, <laughs> the cafe in uh home does pop up uh as a, as a setting i've decided that's going to be my like shared universe this cafe is just going to be in every single book <laughs> um, and it'll be like the hub around which everything spins uh so the the book is uh dual narrative but this time with two different characters um who've both uh, experience grief and loss and they kind of get drawn together as a result of that yeah okay and and what's the time scale now on that <laughs> you oh, sound like an editor <laughs> yeah that's, you sound like my agent um <laughs> yes sorry about that <laughs> uh, it was confidently originally i was like yeah summer fine i'll be you know finished and polished um oh god I'm, I'm hoping within the next couple of months to to have the first draft finished and uh and then polish it up a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it can be slow going with everything else. Well, I can imagine, but I mean, I was going to ask, you know, given that this is the second and is it getting any easier or is it harder to do the second album? <laughs> second Way, album. Harder. <laughs> Way harder. I had like, I had basically years to write home, like years and years and years. And this one I've tried to get out in a much shorter space of time. And I find that really hard. Um, so I think, I think just in terms of time, it's it's kind of been a lot. Like I I had like writer's block for almost a year after I finished home. Um, and just like trying to come up with like I had a few ideas, but like none I wanted to go with, and yeah, just trying to get something down. I kind of had to try a lot of different things to get the the kind of 
juices flowing again, I guess. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a bit of a slog, but like I think I'm in a rhythm with it now, and I love this idea. So I'm hoping it's it kind of comes out all right. How difficult was that then? That period when you know you were going through treacle and trying different things just to get it going again. Oh, I was convinced. I was like one of those people that only writes one book and then disappears into a hole in the ground and is never seen again. I was like, maybe this is it. Um, so yeah, it was tricky. I tried a bunch of different things, um, like oh, collaging and sketching and free writing. And um, I read something that worked really well in terms of. I think what it, like, I think what made it hard was I was now thinking about writing as purely work rather than something that was like enjoyable or fun. Mm. Um, and I read an interview with N.K. Jemison, who is an amazing, one of my favorite writers. And she was saying that she writes fan fiction and she's like, no one, she's like, I publish it online, but like, no one knows it's me. No one will ever read it knowing it's connected with me. And she's like, I just do it to like enjoy writing. Um, and she's like, it's like getting on an exercise bike, the, the, the story and the characters and the the setting, the world are kind of already there and you're just playing in them. It's you're just so your sandpit. And I'd never done that before. And I had to go at it and I was like, oh, this is so much fun. And I wrote heaps and heaps of stuff that no one will ever see. But it just it just made me enjoy writing again. And I think that, mm. that was something that really helped. That's brilliant. No, I, That's I a great like piece that. of advice. That, yeah, I like that because uh, it's difficult, isn't it? If you're trying to think of original stories and characters, there's yeah. so much pressure to mm. get it right. But. Yeah, if you just sort of. Yeah, I, th- I guess uh, that is it. You know, if you step back and 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 just let it go. Um, but y- you know, not having to create anything. You know, the as you say, you, you're given a sandbox to play with. So, yeah, yeah terrific. And how long? Ha- absolutely. How long? So you wrote loads, but how long did it take? You know, time wise, for you to really feel the flow coming back. Probably about a year. Um, mm during which yeah I was just convinced I would never write anything ever again um but yeah probably, probably about a year before I really got back into into what I'm writing now and then I've been working on that for for a couple of years um and just you know kind of as and when in the time that I've had but nearing the end of it now um I'm hoping I'll only get quicker as I keep writing because <laughs> but readers have start to have expectations as well when they find discover your book they they think right okay you're mine now. You need to write another one. <laughs> I'm so jealous of the people who write a book a year. I'm like, how even? Like, there's there's people I know who do that who like they have jobs as well. Like, it's not the only thing they do, and I just don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, when they work at the same, work full time and write at least a book a year. Yeah. Now, now the book's out. I mean, are you are you booked up with festival appearances or anything like that coming up? Yeah, I'm very lucky. I've got a few things. Um, I've got next week. I am doing the Irish launch of home, which is um, really kind of close to my heart because obviously, you know, I wrote I wrote parts of the book when I lived in Dublin. A lot of it's very inspired by Dublin as a setting. Uh, So that'll be awesome. That's in the gutter bookshop uh, next Tuesday, uh, then the 6th. And then on the 9th, I have a a event in Blackwell's bookshop in Edinburgh with Heather Derwent, whose debut, The Things We Do to Our Friends, came out and is brilliant. It's such a cool, twisty, dark thriller um and then granite noir uh at the end of february with uh in, in Aberdeen. Aberdeen. yeah with rochelle atala and katie murphy who are two like amazing writers uh rochelle atala wrote the pharmacist um which is brilliant kind of um post-apocalyptic uh kind of like locked room kind of uh story and katie murphy writes a series of crime novels um where there's like dublin drag queens solving crimes which is just amazing <laughs> 
Brilliant. I love that. There's so many books to read. It's not fair. <laughs> so many. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's one of the, the tragedies of life is that there's so many good books out there. And I always pick up the bad ones. No, no, no. No, that's no. not good. <laughs> this is not enough time. No. I get to yeah. I get to the end of the day and I call into bed at 10 o'clock and I manage about three pages. <laughs> yeah, it is. I like I get a lot of reading done with audiobooks as well. Mm. Well, good, I have one in the car. So I have um Maggie O'Farrell in the car at the moment, the marriage oh. project. Yeah. Oh, and I'm listening to myself. Uh, but you we... listen to Angry People Radio. Well, no, I didn't. No, no, but I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening to one of my own audiobooks, which is, is kind of crazy. <laughs> so uh, I'm talking about my performance because I'm I'm now narrating uh, the prequel to the series that I did, oh, and cool. I'm doing subsequent books. But I need to get back into the characters, so I'm listening to something I did two or three years ago, uh, and trying to get the voices right again. You're not oh, subjecting really? the boys on the way to school with it, are you? Uh, it, has been, it has been known and they sort of sigh as they hear me talking about you know limbs being hacked off by roman legionaries um but yeah i had to get it right because i can't remember what i did for voices no. um and there you go oh, so is there going to be an audio book or is there an audio book there is um there is an audiobook read by paula masterston who is absolutely fantastic as zoe um i was lucky enough to be involved in the the kind of casting. auditions for that and yeah. Yeah, the casting and uh, I picked her out immediately. She was just absolutely fantastic. So that's, that's available now. Um, and is brilliant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure, but now we have to bring things to a grinding halt with, you guessed it. Halt? <laughs> you guessed it. Rebecca's random question. <laughs> what is currently in your fridge? Oh, what's currently in my fridge? Um, well, I got a Japanese cookbook uh, for Christmas. So oh, brilliant. I've been experimenting with sushi. So I've got some bits and pieces um, for like making like sushi and like different types of ramen and things in there. So that's that's my, my kind of side project at the moment. I, tr- I lived there for two years, so... You can come here and cook anytime you like. Yeah, no, I, I, I did the sushi thing as well for some time ago and, you know, sashimi or whatever, and that's much harder than it, you think. You oh, it's, think. it's very difficult, yeah. But, not but easy. The, the getting the sushi rice right was, was hard enough. Yeah, I'm now a complete devotee to, like, washing rice before I use it. Um, this That's been, like, a revelation. Yeah, mm. it does. It makes all the difference. But You're even, quite right. I think ramen, you see, because I've had some really ropey ramen, <laughs> but also some amazing ramen, like, oh, full of flavour. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I don't know if you've ever heard of the film Tampopo, which is basically, it's a Japanese film from the 70s. And it's about this woman who decides to perfect how to cook ramen. Brilliant. Brilliant. I recommend it. Yeah, I, I know the one you mean. <laughs> I know the one you mean. Um, uh, yeah, I guess. Well, what's in our fridge? Well, oh, our an fridge. awful lot of stuff that needs chucking out because we haven't eaten it. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, a third of a lemon tart, isn't there? There's last night's pasta in a bowl. <laughs> yeah, and there's some stuff gathering, you know, fuzz at the back, I'm sure. Uh Yeah. But I mean, I, I go through phases where I'm absolutely obsessive cooks, and then you know, like the sous vide machine got a lot of use over Christmas, and it's just sat there now outside my studio, uh, doing nothing at the moment. But yeah, I mean, I, I I totally get it, and it is. I don't know how long is that enthusiasm for Japanese cooking? Do you think is it something you do for three to six months, and then it, you drop it, or is is it do you move on to the no, next thing? About yourself, I'm, I'm talking about me here, but yeah, I mean, I'm just asking, are you like me in that regard? Oh, I don't know. Um, I 
uh, I've enjoyed making ramen for uh, maybe like a year or so. Like it's a, like a nice kind of like, I don't know, like it, it's something I do in my, my like writing days is I make like a really nice lunch after I've come back from a run. And, and then it's like a nice kind of thing to do where I suppose the rest of my week is very like rushed and, you know, like yeah. school, you're like, you know, chomping down food and then back to it. So it's, it's just nice to, to take time over something. So uh enthusiasm so it shows no signs of waning at the moment but i'll i'll keep you informed. <laughs> okay well that's good that, that, that would well, be excellent we'll have you back on the podcast when your next book is out we'll ask you how's the ramen going yeah, <laughs> Thank we'll, you. i'll we'll see will. you in 2037 when i've finished it <laughs> yeah okay right well if we're still around we'll do that speak for yourself <laughs> Galen, it's been absolutely fantastic to speak to you thank you so much for your time thank you so much for having me on this has been lovely chat well, as you predicted, a great answer to the random question. Yes. And very different from the contents of ours, <laughs> which, totally. which has probably got some things that shouldn't be in the fridge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, this is the point of the show where we always talk about who's coming up next week, first of all. Who is yeah. our guest next week? Our guest next week is Julie Anderson, who um, is a co-founder of the Clapham Literary Festival. Fantastic. We love talking to literary festivals because, you know, uh, they are... They're an endangered breed. I'm just reading in the bookseller, yet more festivals closing for 23 and 24 because it's difficult to keep them going. Mm, um, you know, doing it for the love more than the money. So um, we'll look forward to speaking to her next week. But um, in terms of our week ahead, we've actually got something very exciting. As this podcast goes out in the evening of the podcast <laughs> release, we are going to Shrewsbury. We are my old hometown. And we're going to be seeing one of our authors, aren't we? We are. You'll never guess. It's Robert Dawes. Oh, Uncle Bob, we can't wait to see you tomorrow. You sound like Scylla then. Our Uncle Bob is, you know, anyway. (laughs) uh, Robert is currently touring the UK with a a brilliant one-man show called Woodhouse in Wonderland. And it's written by William Humble. And it is a one-man show about P.G. Woodhouse. And Bob is uh, reflecting on his life and the challenges of being P.G. Woodhouse. There's a lot of humour, there's a lot of singing in it, but there's also a lot of darkness there as well. You know, you perhaps wouldn't associate with the man who came up with Jeeves and Worcester. But it is getting great reviews, so we can't wait to see Uncle Bob tomorrow no, on stage. Be good. Which will be really exciting. And we've got a book out this week as well. We do, indeed, by the lovely Lynn Laversha. We do, and it is called... Blood Ties. Blood Ties. Yes. So all her books are Blood Something. Yes. We've had Blood Notes, Blood Lines, and now Blood Ties. So very exciting. Very, very good. Yeah, it's terrific. Um, We love Lynn's book. Well, we love all our author's books, let's be honest. So it's been an absolutely epically busy few weeks with releases. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've had three, if we include um, the one this week. And then we've got another one next week. So, yeah, we've had a bit of, like, buses. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, the other thing I wanted to, to, to talk about is, you know, people ask us, okay, publishing, what do you actually do? Well, as you know on this show, if you listen to it regularly, we do loads of other things on top of the Hoback stuff, actually to support the company in many ways. And at the moment, I am knee-deep in the blood and gore of the Roman Empire. Not literally. Well, no, but um, I have been recording. I've actually just finished the recording of one of five books that I've been commissioned to do by WF House Limited, who are the biggest audiobook producer in the country, which is a great thrill. And going back to a series which I had done three previous books from, the Legionary series by Gordon Doherty. 
But what happens if I lose my voice? What happens if the proverbial bus interacts with my car and puts me out of action? Well, you have a backup. You have a deputy. I do. And so we've been auditioning Aki the cat. You're not referring to Aki. No. You know who I'm referring to. The, the, Your good self. I have a good voice, right? A cracker. <laughs> yes, it's 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 one of the... Well, it, let's think of some of those words that can be used. It's a brave voice. It's a unique voice. It's, um, yes, challenging voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Groundbreaking. <laughs> groundbreaking, yeah. It's an unusual voice. Um, well, let's give you a little treat. First of all, you're going to hear just a little excerpt of what I've recorded. And this has not been polished or anything. This is just as I've recorded it. I've got some to and then you're going to hear the same words spoken by my wonderful partner here, <laughs> Rebecca. Yes, I had a go at narrating a Roman epic. And it, it is... Ooh, ooh, fight thing. It is, it is truly unique. It is. Let's hear it. <laughs> Names and ranks. Don't make me ask again. The centurion barked through his tombstone teeth. Parvo noted his heavy brow seemed set in a permanent frown. Sura spluttered the clods of dirt from his mouth, to which the centurion cocked an eyebrow. We're on our way to enlist in the 11th Claudia Legion, sir, Parvo jumped in. I'm Numerius Vitellius Parvo. Decimus Lunius Sura, Sura croaked. Couple of skinny runts coming to enlist, eh? Don't know what the army's coming to, he muttered. Centurion Brutus, chief centurion of the second cohort, the officer grunted, rubbing his stubbled anvil of a chin and I can only beg Mithras that you don't end up in my ranks. Out of the ditch and follow me in. Names and ranks? Don't make me ask again, the centurion barked through his tombstone teeth. Parvo noted his heavy brow seemed set in a permanent frown. Sura spluttered the clods of dirt from his mouth, to which the centurion cocked an eyebrow. We're on our way to enlist in the XI 11th Claudia Legion, sir, Parvo jumped in. I'm numerous Vitulus Povo. Decimus Luminus Sura? Sura croaked. Couple of skinny runts coming to enlist, eh? Don't know what the army's coming to, he muttered. Centurion Brutus, chief centurion of the second cohort, the officer grunted, rubbing a stubble anvil of a chin. And I can only beg, Mitras, that you don't end up in my ranks. Out of the ditch and follow me in. Are well, they still there, do you think, the people listening? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're the same people who... I think who, they're rolling on the, ra- on the ground laughing. I, I don't know how many um, of you uh, follow Rebecca or friends of Rebecca on Facebook, but she did put up some her guitar playing and singing this week, <laughs> um, which got quite a few uh, interesting comments, brave. Polite comments. I had uh, somebody oh, I'm very fond of, this lady, and she said, I'm still laughing ten minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> was that a Linda's check? It was. Yeah. <laughs> well, dear Linda, yes. Uh, I live with this. I live with this sound. Um, <laughs> admittedly, you have to see. So you, rude. You hear me struggling with the guitar as well. We're both playing at the moment. Uh, but anyway, there you go. That's a little bit of uh, Legionary by Gordon Doherty coming out. Uh, well, one of us is coming out. I don't know which one they're going to use. What would you do though if you if if you sent the recording to mm. F F House? 
FW House. WF House. WF House, even. This is why I'm not a narrator. Mm. And they said, you know, we heard your podcast and we heard your partner attempting a part of the story. And actually, we're we're thinking of commission. No, No. we're thinking of commissioning her to do the next book. How would I feel about that? I just think that's another thing you've trodden my dreams (laughs) down on. You've moved in on my territory. The one thing that I was special about... And you've ruined it for me. That's listen, how I'd feel. Listen, it's not going to happen. Trust me, it's not. <laughs> I think I think, I think, think on the balance it is unlikely, but you never know. You never know. Listen, we've got, um, we've got the, the, the joy of, of seeing Robert Dawes on stage, but we've got so many other things happening. And, of course, we'll be speaking to our guests for next week. Uh, but between now and then, we'd love uh, you to take a look at our website. So we've got so many new books out. There's plenty to have a look at. You can buy our books in paperback from our website. Otherwise, it's Amazon, Kindle Unlimited for all of our books. And uh, we're enormously grateful for your support uh, here on the podcast and obviously to Hobeck Books itself. You can find us at www.hobeck.net. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from. It would be enormously, uh, well, we'd be enormously grateful. But yes. from myself, Adrian Hobart. And myself, Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Hobcast Book Show. We'll look forward to speaking to you again next week. So between now and then, have a wonderful and... Creative. Week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. 